Oh, that is the best cup of tea I've ever made myself. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck happened there, but the tea gods came together. You've put in considerably too much milk for a decent cup of tea. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. You've got a throat clear. <laughs> Do I ever? I've got to put on some absurd yellow glasses to hide my fear of reality. <clears throat> Hello and welcome to Business Without Bullshit. I'm Andy Uri and alongside me is my co-host Pippa Sturt. Hi Andy. And today we are joined by Dr. Phil Armstrong. Hello Dr. Phil, how are you doing? I'm all right, pleased to be here. Thank you. Um, So Phil, you're a business and economics teacher and associate at the Gower Institute for Modern Money Studies. So come on, what is modern monetary theory? What's the basics? Oh, Right. Okay. Now that's <laughs> that is the question. Um, we'll settle I'll, in. We'll settle, settle in. in. Get comfy. I'm going to give you a little sort of detour into the uh, 1400s. Okay. Right. We like, like that. the 1400s. Yeah, yeah lovely. lovely. Yeah. I know you like your history. A You're lot of plague, a lot of vomit. Yeah, yeah that Pretty was the much. thing. Yeah. So imagine that you two were like wandering around and uh, it was turnips. a nice day, eating yeah. turnips, one in either hand, you, you know, stereo turnips, and you looked up in the sky and you saw the sun and, and, and you know, the sun, it uh, tends to... Well, all of us really seems to rise in the, the east and then it starts to set. Almost in infinite energy. Yeah, and you can see it. Would you agree? The sun obviously goes around the earth because you can see it. The earth yeah. doesn't move. If the earth was moving, we'd fall off. I mean, bear in mind, yeah. I'm talking about the 1400s here. Now, would you imagine if some geezer came along and said, look, we're all moving and the sun is actually, we're going around the sun. You would think this guy had been maybe overdoing the mead or someone's put something in his carrots or his turnips. It's very like a feat of energy and sort of creativity on the part of Copernicus and Galileo and all these guys. No, you got it wrong. It's the earth going around the sun, not the other way around. Now, when Galileo kind of comes up with his ideas, they didn't say, all right, we're sorry, you were right. They locked him up, didn't the house arrest? Now, you might think, yeah, that's interesting. What's that got to do with economics, though? You know, I mean, it's, maybe, you know, it's not my thing, isn't astronomy? Well, most people, not all, but the vast majority of people think it's obvious that the government gets money from somewhere, like taxes, and then the taxes go somewhere, maybe a big bank account, probably the Bank of England, not sure where, but probably. Uh, and with those taxes... We can buy the things we need here in the UK. So like nurses, doctors, missiles, if you like that sort of thing, nuclear weapons, new roads, teachers, schools, lovely. And then, so consequently, governments have to make, quote-unquote, hard choices. So, for example, if, if we're coming up to austerity, you know, you might get, you know, Jeremy Hunt, you know, trying to pretend to be worried about things. And he'll go, oh, well, you know, I'd like to give those lovely nurses a decent pay rise, but who's going to pay for it? So if you can imagine then, the narrative is that government is just like a currency user, like us. It gets money it's from somewhere. It's distributing the money. Yeah, it collects in. first and then it spends, like us, in a big way. Now, what Warren saw, and I'm not saying there weren't historical antecedents, which I won't go into too much detail and put people up to sleep, But what Warren saw was, it doesn't work like that. It's a Copernican moment. 
or a Copernican moment. Is that a paradigm shift? It is a paradigm shift. Well, we hope. Oh, oh, I'm impressed. This guy's done some more I don't know what a Copernican moment is. Oh, that is a right paradigm, paradigm shift, shift earlier, just to remember it, it. He needs a round of applause for that. Now, so if you can imagine then, <laughs> what happens is, we know, we've got the evidence, the government spends first. So what it does is in Parliament, right, the government legally, all right, the Bank of England has to spend what the government says. It's got nothing to do with taxes. So the government just spends money into existence. Now, I'm not saying it should. I'm saying it does. I mean, that timing thing is almost circular, isn't it, though? It's all kind of the same thing. Once a year we pay, well, all through the year we pay lots of tax, all through the year we spend lots of money. One could say that. But here's the question. You could say, well, that sun and earth thing, well, you know, it depends what your perspective. The difference is, right, we cannot pay our taxes unless the government has already spent it. Otherwise, that's a thing called counterfeiting, all right? The government will only accept back its own money. So it right. looks circular, and if you want the kind of people say, ah, well, it doesn't matter, but it does. Government has to spend first, and taxes have to come second as a matter of logic. Because all the currency is created by the government originally. Yeah. Well, the is that what we're saying? Yeah. Yes, it's slightly different. Well, it's like diff. they go start spending 100 billion. And that goes into the... The bank. ...economy. We get it at some point and give it back. Yes, I mean... Not all the money is created by the government because banks create money. And, and a lot of your listeners will be thinking about that now. It's going to park that and I'll come back to it. So it's, it's important. But if you imagine then, your next question is, right? My next question is, that, right? can I cry now yeah. or well, later? So the, the crucial thing is, okay, you might say, right, what you're saying is that the government just spends money through data entry or by issuing coins or... Yeah printing paper, which is what it's always done. So you might say, well, if it does that, it doesn't need, you know, fund itself with taxes. Why bother offering? Why not be really popular? Well, the answer is the tax liability, the need to get money to pay taxes comes first. So, for example, just to create a model in your head which explains how it works, suppose I was the government and you guys were the private sector enjoying yourself, growing your own turnips and eating them and not doing anything for me. I put a tax liability on you first, boom, because I want you to work for me. So I say, okay, I want you to fight my army, so I'm going to levy a tax liability on you, and you have to pay me some coins with my head on it. Problem is, you ain't got any. Now, you can't make any yourself. I'll kill you. I can sell a turnip. You could sell a turnip, but who can give you any money for it because I ain't issued it yet. Oh, so you could yeah, go... Fair play. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you go to uh, one of your mates and say... I got to turn it. Can I have some government money because they're coming to collect it from me? And if I ain't going to kill me, burn my huts, and steal my children, and you may say I, I'm worried with the same problem. I ain't going to either. The only source of it is the actual. In those days, it would be the king or the whoever was in charge. So um, there's an old phrase: the ability to mint money in here's lovely word in the bones of princes. So you report to the, the king, you work for the king, you're paid in his coin, and he collects it back. Now, if you imagine a situation where he collects too much back, he will be very unpopular because after you've worked for me and you paid your taxes, which you have to do, you want a bit left so you can buy things with because you don't only eat turnips, you know, you want to do something else with your money. Uh, so if I collect too much, then you'd be too poor and there'll be a riot. If I collect too little... 
Eventually, you'll have so many of my coins, won't you, that you think, well, I don't need to go and fight for you anymore. I've got so much of that money. I can buy a giant turnip. I can buy giant turnips. I do whatever I like. And I've got so many of them. When I go to buy the turnips, everybody's got sackloads of them. So the price of my favourite turnip has just gone astronomical. So would you agree to manage the fiscal system? Agreed. What the government has to do is net spend just enough. If he spends too much, now bear in mind this is a base case. Yeah. You know? I mean, you know, once Copernicus they said that the sun was at the middle of the solar system, that was the end of astronomy. He just got the basics right. So your base case is the government spends first, collects tax later, result. If it net spends too much, you get inflationary pressure or people will stop working for the government. Uh, if it doesn't spend enough, you get unemployment. The, the actual amount of money the government's if you like, left untaxed, its deficit does not make any difference. So let's take my example. If I was the government and I spent 100 quid, all right, tax back 80, I'm a small government. Who's got the 20? You guys. So the government's deficit, penny for penny, is the non-government sector's net saving. So the idea that the government wants to reduce the deficit, which like Dimwit, Hunt does, who doesn't understand anything. He thinks he's doing something good, but he's actually taking away our money, obviously. We know that he's raising taxes, apparently. So he's taking money away from us. Mm. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So what, what he's actually doing is creating the wrong structure. He's operating under... Now, do politicians understand the system? No. Is it conspiracy theory? No. Just like a guy who was an astronomer in 1400, he's seen the same things. He's seen the sun going around the Earth. He just coheres it against the wrong model. Now, I'm taking you out of the Matrix. You know that film, you know, where people the all... Yeah, yeah. Now, now, your brain's starting to whirl and you're thinking, whoa, well, hey, so the government can't run our money. It's not possible. It spends by data entry. Not should. Does. Remember, that's important. I'm not saying we need a giant space rocket to drag the sun to the middle of the solar system, all right, because it should be there. I'm saying we all know it is there. We've been in space. So that's what the government actually does. What, what percentage of economists do you think generally hold this view? 5% or less. 5% or less. And there are issues that are bothersome, like you think to yourself, why can't we just, if we're pre- we've been printing an insane amount of money, America, we were told by that gentleman, 83% of their budget for three years has been printed. So you think it does irritate you that we can somehow, there's a crisis, you know, we need to lock down and no one even sure it was a great, let's print 200 billion. And then meanwhile, we're like, well, what is the NHS? Well, that could do for 200 billion and, you know, whatever. And I've seen people put forward this through before that it's like, just print what you want. But, you know, what happens then, like... Well, I mean, you've got to unpick that, if you forgive me. The first thing is, when, when people say print, it's deliberately designed to conjure image of the Weimar Republic. Yeah, it does that All very well. All government money, all government money is issued. There's, nothing is funded from taxes. So when they say, oh, we printed money, well, that's what they always do anyway. They always issue it by that. Historically, there's not a correlation between the fact that I charge this much, I charge a billion in tax and I print a billion in cash. No, nothing no. to do with it. It's all it's all the two separate things. They don't even have a I mean, Warren always says, particularly in the US, they don't even have each other's phone number. 
It's hard to think about because it's a tri-party relationship, which is a great way to confuse you in a way. As you yeah. say, you come along and say, I've got a tax. Yeah. I, need, I need this system of exchange. I mean, that's the truth. Yeah, yeah. Don't exchange well. So I need something I trust tomorrow. So I need yeah, something yeah. that I'm like, we're going to carry on thinking this is valuable tomorrow. So then you've got a sort of government saying, well, I've got, I'm, I'm worth it. You know, I've got deep yeah. pockets. So I'll sort you out, you know. And then, and then you're really adding a layer to this to say, look, if, if we print more money or issue yeah. more money and then you tax it more, you know, it, it's the international relationship that I struggle with. It almost works within itself, but on an international level, don't, doesn't it, the problem with well, the bond market, don't people say, oh, they've lost the fucking plot? Because isn't this Argentina or, you know, well, whatever? Well, hang on. There's so much in it. It's not a question. Sorry. No, no, it's great. It's great. Sorry. First point is, okay, Ow. it's tricky this economics teaching mm. that. Now, so I might break it down. So yeah. why I start with what I call the base case is, say you try to teach someone how to play chess. Now, yeah. you guys are very intelligent people, but I wouldn't just go in and say, we're going to take it. Take it. Play chess. Take it. If you, try, you know what I mean? If I was teaching how to play chess, I wouldn't like talk about like castling on the queen's side on my opening lesson or something yeah. like that. I would show you like, this is a pawn and it moves like that. So what I'm doing is building it up. So what I'm saying is give you the base case model. And the base case is, right, if you want to go back, Money is simply an IOU. The monetary system is simply entries on a ledger. All right, that's what it is. Now, this, what I explained about our governments initially, throughout history, right from the beginning of various empires, Egypt, ancient Babylon, they, they use a monetary system just to move resources, or people particularly, from the private sector themselves. That's the function of it. So would you agree it's a dead easy way of getting people to work for you if you're the emperor or the king? Because mm -hmm. you, can just, you can just levy your tax in something you will accept back and then you can spend it wherever you like. Now, if you net spend too much, you get inflation, and I'll come to the international thing in a minute. If you don't spend enough net, you get unemployment. Can you just unpack that? So if you net spend too much, why do things cost more? Well, if, if for example, right, you had a load of, say you're looking at Amazon, right, mm. and there was something you wanted to buy, okay, and you were the government, mm. all right, and you, for example, and, and you bought something for £10 and then you bought another at £10 and you bought another at £10. Now, would you agree initially when there's plenty of spare things, oh, you can keep on doing yeah. it? Now, if you got to a point where there was nothing left on Amazon at £10, all right, you bought them all, you then decided, well, I still want them, so I'm going to compete with the private sector for the... So in other words, like, I'm going to go out on the street and start buying them for more than £10. So what limits your ability from the state's point of view to spend money at the going price is real resources. So what but, MMT says, it's the real stuff we've got. And a simple example, say you had, like, 10,000 trained, ready-to-work nurses sat at home now with their feet on the table well, happy to work at the going wage that nurses work at, just playing cards, doing nothing. Mm -hmm. Would you agree the government could just employ them at the going yeah. rate and nothing would happen to inflation? Result. If, on the other hand, every single person in the country was working flat out, we hadn't got any nurses, so we might have to think, okay, what we're going to do? Well, in which case... Pay them more. You got, well, you might pay them more, but if you do that, that's going to cause inflation, isn't yeah. it? Because all your resources are fully employed... 
So the idea is if you bid at full employment, if you keep on bidding more and more prices up, (laughs) you will cause inflation. So the, the constraint on what the government can do in terms of its spending is the available real resources. And if you move away, just to give a simple example, if you're on a desert island, for example, say there was us four that are in the office now. Oh, God. Mm, yeah, we got to survive, would you agree? We're going to have to eat, D. <laughs> well, no. He's very healthy. He's, he'll he, be, is, he is a healthy guy. You he'll know, be, and, it's the best bet. So if I go my little, finish my little model, yeah, yeah, I think it'd be helpful, trust me. So if, if we're on Desert Island, if, if all of us are working, would you agree? If we want more, one of us would have to stop doing what we're doing. All right, so mm-hmm. if, if, if you... Uh, were collecting coconuts. I'm right, collecting. exactly. You were collecting yeah. coconuts, and I decided we need more fish. Now I'm going to be in charge. Forgive delusions of grandeur. So I say to you, Pippa, look, stop collecting coconuts because we need fish. Would you agree there's an opportunity cost? I've lost something. Yeah. If, on the other hand, you were just counting little pebbles, not doing anything under a coconut, under said coconut tree, and I said, I want you to catch some fish, and you weren't doing it anyway. Would you have lost anything? Now, this is the point about it. If we have unemployed resources, people ready, willing, and able to work, for example, the government can employ them at current wages, and we get more output, and we're better off, we don't get inflation. If, on the other hand, everyone's working flat out, and the government suddenly starts spending more money on them, then you'll get inflation. But what makes it complicated, I do apologise, there's another dynamic where you can get inflation. It's not just because the government, it could happen where we get full employment and the government keeps on spending. But in my lifetime, although I've explained the theory of it, it's never really happened. All the inflation that we've had in my lifetime has all, I'm coming to your international thing, it's come from abroad generally, and it's been to do with oil and food production prices. We know that. We're now in inflation. Where did it come from? Did we get in? It's surprising, isn't it, when you think about it. In the COVID crisis, you know, old Rishi there is giving out that money, that furlough, and everyone's, oh, it's going to be inflation everywhere. Wasn't any. That's funny. But what's happened now is we all know there's been a a war, tragedy in, in that, Gas prices gone up, oil prices gone up, wheat's gone up, food's gone up. So what's happening is it's a not-on effect. Everything in the shops, you'll notice 10 11%. So there's another dynamic where we can see that most of our inflation is to do with costs. So if, for example, you were a, you you were running a business like yourself, your energy costs go up. How are you going to be profitable? You have to raise your price, don't you? Otherwise, you can't make a profit, pay the wages of your workers. So you, you've, in, you've built in a, an inflationary dynamic into the system, which is nothing to do with the amount of money the government was spending on nurses. So when all these guys say, oh, well, you know, it's Rishi Sunak's fault for giving away the furlough money, we've got inflation. Think about it. So what they're saying is the fact that Rishi Sunak spent a lot of money on the furlough is called global inflation of oil and gas prices, you're joking. And if you watch guys on the BBC, it's quite funny, you'll get a guy with a microphone and say, right, um, we're worried about inflation and he'll interview people in the street and he say, oh, how can you, you can't afford to heat your house and you, know, you can't afford to uh, like feed yourself, which one are you going to have to do and isn't it terrible and everyone knows where the inflation's come from, you know, fuel prices, wheat prices. 
And then he'll turn to the camera and he'll say, well, it's really bad, inflation's really hitting people. And the Bank of England's going to raise interest rates. And he thinks to himself, doesn't he, well, how's that going to work then? Because he doesn't, it's the same thing. And they do it because they're thinking, how can the Bank of England making mortgages more expensive here in Britain, how can that really help the oil price, which comes to Saudi Arabia, go down? And they don't know, but think, well, some economics guy will. Anyway, back to the studio. And the reason is, there is no connection. So raising the interest rates will not reduce inflation unless they raise it so high that, you know, up, 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 up till the business world crashes, you get unemployment, everyone's poor and nobody can afford to buy anything like they did and prices come. But boy, that is the wrong way of doing it. So what is the solution? Is there a solution? To to inflation inflation that we've got now, well, first of all, you've got to look at where the inflation's coming from, would you agree? Yeah. It's coming from oil and gas. So supply chain, you know, Neil Parker would agree with you. It's in raising interest rates is not going to help. Yeah. And I mean, he added the point that that really, you know, that only really works in the US, that if you raise interest rates in the US and slow people's spending, then people do drop, because the market's so powerful, then people do drop their prices, whether they care what Britain's doing, especially with Brexit, we're so disconnected now. I mean, interest rates is, is an interesting question, right? Imagine for a moment you guys were really, really rich. If you're really rich, okay, if you got inflation at 10%, would you agree your hard unearned money? Yeah, I was going to say define rich. You're yeah, saying yeah, sitting say in the bank. Millionaire guy. Well, plus, money in the bank, you yeah, mean? Yeah, it's going down in value. It's buying power. Now, would you agree? You were thinking, I've got a big wad of lolly there that I was thinking I wouldn't have to do much with anymore because it's in the bank the interest rate well, is 1% well I would except rich people don't hold much in cash I mean some might but you know but it must be in assets that will be inflating as well but let's go with the point yeah yeah okay so rich people will have financial assets as well yeah, yeah okay yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and what they'll be thinking is okay the money I'm getting in interest I need more than that on my money because It's been been eroded, its value. Do you see what I mean? So what they'll be thinking to themselves is we want higher interest rates to protect the value of their money during inflationary periods. Now, they can't come on the news and say, look, you know, uh, I've got a billion quid and every time I get 1%, that's 10 million. Now, that's not really enough because of inflation. So I really need much more than that. I need... 5%. 5%. You think that's what's going on in the Bank well, of England panel, that there's enough? No, I'm not saying it's a conspiracy theory. I, I think that they're so hardwired into thinking that when you get inflation, higher interest rates protect the value of money, therefore we're going to do it. But the, the confusion is assuming that will actually slow inflation down because the reason it won't is currently we have a very high debt ratio, public debt, to GDP. So if you imagine a lot of people are holding government securities, reserve bank reserves, when the interest rate goes up, you're just giving them free money. Yeah, it's a really strange thing to understand. Like, our interest rates going up increase the amount we have to pay people who earn yes. money because they buy government yes. bonds yes. and bonds are linked to our own interest rates. Yes. So it's in everyone's interest to have low interest rates yeah. so they can borrow more money 
You know, yeah. it, 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 it's the, the, the it sort of starts to edge into this. Just doesn't sound. I think that's what people bother people with it because it doesn't sound like basic common sense. Like you know, you, you must set things straight, sort of thing. But you know, if I was trying to unravel a very complex story, you could argue that. Okay, imagine there was no government debt at all. Just keep that simple. All right. If you put the interest rate up you're effectively giving savers more, would you agree, and making it harder for borrowers. Now, the assumption is that savers are less likely to spend additional money than borrowers are more likely to be, have to cut down because borrowers are poorer. Yeah. So in that situation, the fancy term is marginal propensity to consume. I don't want to put you and your listeners off, but sorry. So if you put the interest rate up when you have no government debt, you will think, well, it'll be net slightly contractionary because yeah. he's giving savers more money, but, you but know, they, they won't, won't spend, spend that anyway. much of it. Whereas you're taking money off borrowers and that will really reduce how many loans they can afford. So it'll contract the economy a bit. Now, that's probably true. The only problem is now we've got massive government debt to GDP ratio. If you put the interest rate up, you're giving people loads of free money, like overseas. Andy was saying, overseas and at home, all over, wherever it's held, and that will swamp the effect. So the effect of putting interest rates up, now it's a big, if you like, fiscal injection. The government's putting money in the, into the system, which is so big an effect, it's a tsunami, and it'll actually increase inflation. And this might shock you or it maybe don't. Economists don't do what you think they do. They don't actually study the real world. Now, I know that's a shock. but they, See, here's a little sketch. If you watch the news and try it next time, if there's an inflation, they'll cut to a guy, won't they, in, uh, I don't know. Well, the fucking reporting is awful. As a tax person, they have to watch terrible They'll go to a little office where he's sitting, surrounded by books, and he'll be sitting there with braces, and they'll say, well, Professor Jones, um, what do you think we should do about inflation? And he'll kind of look slightly like a rabbit in the lights because it's his turn to speak to the media. And he will go, "Uh, I think, uh, uh, maybe raise interest rates. Why? Because he doesn't do it. Mainstream economists do not study the real world. What they do is, and it's a shock, they study very abstract mathematical models. How do I know that? Because I proofread these documents. It's a nice little learner for me, and it's a great thing. These guys are very, very good at maths. So mainstream economists, what they do is, they model an economy based on simplified assumptions. They develop mathematical modeling, and the technical term is Dynamic stochastic general equilibrium model. Oh, you're just making stuff and up. It now. sounds that way. Now, the thing is, would you like to discuss with these professor about a dynamic stochastic general equilibrium model? No, you'd be frightened. What, what are these guys talking about? Being sarcastic. Yeah, but the thing is, look, look. I mean, we don't argue with these guys because it's full of yeah. equations. Now, the reason they got no answers is they don't study it. Now, I've interviewed these guys. I'm not vehicle for self promotion in the book. They're very, very clever. But it's like a biologist who was studying the, the, the biology of a unicorn and really know a lot about a unicorn. But when there's a problem <laughs> with the, the horse down at the, at the farm, they call them in and they grow with the unicorn, but unfortunately, uh, unicorns don't exist. So the problem of economics is it's totally divorced from reality. Now, the question is, well, how do they get away with it? They get away with it because it suits governments 
for them to be that way because their very irrelevance is great. So if you're a politician, you won't be held to account by economists, mainstream economists, because they're not interested in what you're doing. They're doing something else. It's mathematical model building. They don't study the real world. How much do you think that governments are aware... I mean, effectively, you're saying that there's there's an absolute sort of almost repression economically, but yeah. you know, how, how, much... how aware of it, or it's just no one fucking understands what's going on. I mean, look, there's a theory, but I'm sure MMT doesn't explain anything. I mean, it, it's hyper complicated. There's levers around, and we're trying to pull them, and we've proved now that fiscal, you know, like, monetary policy. You don't want to do too much, like. This has been going on for years and years, and this is how the world works. Mm. We don't want to pull any extraordinary levers because, yeah. like, it's a massive risk to take, oh, right? Yeah. It's okay. an enormous yeah, risk. Yeah, yeah. And you've got to be bold. You've got to have massive cojones. Well, basically, you go down the pan, you know, for a while. Here's your example, Andy. Now, I want you to imagine it. Imagine that you were the court astronomer, all right, or astrologer of a major Italian duke <laughs> just before Copernicus learned about the sun being in the middle of the solar system. So you were a very wealthy man. You were well to court. You had all the best clothes. You had everything you could possibly want. You had a very nice career. Well, thank you very much. That's brilliant. So imagine him. He's there, all right? And he's got his all astro... And he goes to the Duke, who's the richest guy in Italy, uh, on a regular basis. And he plots his astrological future. And he's doing really well. He's using the old system, you know, earth at the middle, sun doing it. And he's a very wealthy man. Then he hears about this sort of crazy guy, Copernicus, who's saying it's the other way around. And he has a word with Copernicus and he thinks, do you know what? Copernicus might be right. He's got some valid arguments. Yeah. Does he, A, go back to his wife and his children who are all very wealthy and say, I've got a cracking idea. I'm going to go and tell the Duke that everything I've ever done to help him has all been lies. It doesn't work. I'll lose my job and we'll live in penury, like, for the rest of our lives. Or do I just pretend that I'd never spoken to Copernicus? Now, it's a bit of an exaggeration, but not much. These guys are doing... Re- they don't, they're not interested in MMT, and it's not that they deliberately know it's there and ignore it. It just, it doesn't enter their daily lives. Like a court astrologer would talk to other top astrologers. You wouldn't be interested in guys who are, who, who are on the outliers. And so I have interviewed politicians because I wanted to find out how much they know. You know, this. do they really know? Because some people are conspiracy theorists. They think you get a very boring bloke who doesn't know anything. They walk into parliament and when they do that, they immediately know everything. They get told all the secret codes. And yeah, and yes, the, secret yeah. codes, yeah. like Harry Potter. But the answer is, they don't. They don't really know idiots. anything. They're still idiots. Now, uh, and they have advisors, but the advisors don't know either. And more than that, if they got an inkling that something might be a bit different, they close the door. We don't so, like change. Yeah, we don't like it because I'm doing well. And why would you? Going back to Andy, would he really want to go to the Duke and say, look, everything I've ever done for you was wrong? Because if you're important, you have to recant. And I asked Randy Ray, who's one of the, the main MMTers, I said, when will things change in economics? And he said, when the old guys die. So only when there's a movement of younger economists who want the world to be a better place without me being 
too poetic about it. And that's what happened after the war. When people came back after the war, and the Keynesian revolution, young economists were at the helm. We'd learned in the war that the government could do things. You know, we won the war. And we had a paradigm shift. And that paradigm shift, although not perfect, delivered the best growth, the lowest unemployment. Do you think Britain is well-placed to at least wake up if you think you need to wake up, it would appear. Well, I might have to come to Pippa's question. How yeah. difficult is it going to be to persuade Yeah, people? you said you had an idea. Well, it's possible. Guns? But it's hard, no. I think you've <laughs> got to play the long game. <laughs> it's about teaching. It's about getting out into schools and when kids are being taught to, to critical thinking and universities. Brainwashing. You need, you've got to counter brainwashing. Counter brainwash them young. Very yeah, good. I mean, Okay, so you're saying you've got a theory how to a fix solution, it. Which, a, solution, a solution, which is you've got to educate people. Yeah, I, I, you like this idea. What I would say to my students is, you must be critical and you can argue with me and I respect you for doing it. And that's crucial. So I will say my, my great hero is Professor Jeff Harcourt. He's sadly he passed away. He's a guy I absolutely thought was fantastic. Um, Did he? Was he part of MMT? He wasn't part of MMT. He was a post Keynesian, and he, he respected MMT as, but he was more. He was very close in many ways to MMT. I mean, I could. So that's quite nice that you had, you know, you oh, had yeah. somebody. Oh yeah. Well, I'm a pluralist. Massively respected. Pluralist didn't think means exactly what? The same way, a pluralist means people who will reach out to other economists and other thinkers, philosophers, who have got a broadly similar philosophical approach. And so people who want to make the world a better place, who are open-minded and bring insights. Oh, I like, like all that. Like, for example... I was thinking of Pollyanna, Like, um, <laughs> for example, post-Keynesians, uh, Marxists of various types. Not so you're not, you're not afraid of people having different opinions? Oh, not at all. Based on the fact that you're all trying to find a better world? Yeah, well, yeah. I, I yeah. Heard that's yeah. how you and me yeah. approach the world. And that's like how you, you learn. So, wow, I mean, Jeff used to say he'd rather have a first-rate disagreement than a third-rate agreement. Because it's this dialogue, if oh, you're it's dialectic. It's amazing when someone changes your mind. When yeah. someone argues you down. I do this to my mum and she doesn't, I, for years, I've said, well, explain yourself with logic. And she starts crying at the yeah. table and stuff. Right Ease up on your mum, it oh turns out. Oh my God, out. you're making other members of your family cry. It's yeah. not just your Yeah, sisters. yeah, my mum. And she'd say to me, darling, because it's how I feel. <laughs> and I worked out, a work, you know, just accept it's how she feels. No logic. You, you've got to be... I mean, the thing about MMT is, and some guy talked about looking at the statue of David, you know, from different perspectives, you get different angles. And you have to remember, some things can be right and wrong, yeah. But if you're taking different perspectives, so there's aspects of Marx that I agree with, there's aspects of post-Keynesianism I agree with, there's aspects of ecological economics I agree with, aspects of feminist economics, aspects of institutional economics I agree with, and I get on with a lot of the people who are in these schools, and I advocate that they can work together and construct some sort of bigger narrative of which MMT is not the only aspect, but... MMT only does really one thing well, in my opinion, better than any other school. It explains how the monetary system works. That's it. Okay. If you want to know what, when the government spends, where does the money start, where does it end up, what the function of taxes is, how can you deal with inflation, 
MMTs, if you're saying, well, how big should the health service be? Or, you know, uh, do we think capitalism in, is inherently exploitative? Then MMT doesn't, re you need other ways of thinking about that. So it's not, it's not like a pan of cheese is going to solve all the problems of the world. It's like, I go a back. A pan of cheese. A pan. a pan of cheese, and it won't make every pizza delicious. <laughs> I love the uh, yeah, yeah, version. Yeah, yeah. Hey, say that, eh? A pan of cheese will solve any problem in the world, my lad. So this is the business without bullshit moment of the podcast. Have you got a subject for us that is something that, you know, is used a lot as a term maybe in business or? The thing I've got most gripe in business is assuming that people who've made a lot of money know a lot about things other than making money. So, for example, if you get some like Alan Sugar, now I'm sure Alan Sugar can run a TV show better than me and do, you're fired. And he can, he, can, he made a lot of money in Amstrad. But they ask him about like things like how the economy works. Yeah. And because he's rich and he's a successful inverted commas businessman, they believe he knows about that. So they'll get like, dragons from Dragon's Den, not knocking how good they are at running their businesses, but that's what they do. You know, you might have a doctor who's fantastic, a doctor, but you wouldn't say like, come out and design my roof. Making money doesn't mean you're great at everything. It just means either through luck or skill, you're good at making money. Or a bit of both. Or a bit of both, but it doesn't, and that irritates so me. I, and people who work in the city can earn a million pounds when they're 25 years old and they, yeah. they, they think they know about stuff and they, they don't have a clue. You know, they, they don't even understand there business. Is a, there is often in people's brains a correlation. I, you know, I see it in my dad's like this, that they think because somebody's got money, they're kind of worth more as yes. a human being. That, whoa, that's a really, the wealth. You know, but I yes. think a lot of people think like that. Yeah, yeah. And, and, yeah. and that's the thing. There's nothing well, you kind wrong. of are in everything you do. You go to the airport and you go business yeah, class, yeah. and you're told it's you're better re, than it's the other reinforced. People. Yeah, you can always choose the option of stay in the better hotel, or you know, have the better mm. driving experience, mm. or the better car. You know, it's it's. It, I find the funniest is the airport in um, uh, in Dubai. They have the each floor is like first class, business class, you know, yeah, economy yeah. class, and there's like three worlds that exist. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Clark got its start back in 1935 And while the world has changed a bit It's more than just survived From complying with the FCA And all things financy They can also speak fluently In the language of legalese Ori Clark was born and raised Right here in the UK And now for 20 years They've been helping others Get set up and on their way Ori Clark's doors always open and happy to provide straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. Big shout out to Sean Veer Singh for a stellar jingle. You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music on Instagram. And at this point, let me quickly remind you to give us a nice review, please, on Apple Podcast or follow us on Spotify so you'll never miss an episode. Now back to the chat. Quick fire round. Yeah. These are designed for you to answer in like a couple of seconds. Okay. Punchy. Uh, <laughs> D, cue the music. Thank you, D. What was your first job? Uh, school laboratory technician, Middles Row. 1980. Did some chemistry equipment go missing? No. Uh, what, was, what was your worst job? 
I haven't really had a really bad job working in a pub. You were quiet for most of the evening and then bang, all the guys came in for loads of beer late on. Favourite subject at school? Biology probably, one pretty good at it, maybe favourite. Uh, what's your special skill? I haven't got any really. I can talk a lot and I played billiards. You can explain like monetary theory. Well, that's very kind. Many have said I can do that okay. I used to play billiards, which is like snooker, but there's only three balls on the table. Uh, a lot of. Same size table. Same size table, it's hard. Imagine only three, it's difficult. What did you want to be when you grew up? I didn't know. Occasionally thought I'd be a marine biologist, I like fish and water, and I was moderately good at biology, but not really with any commitment. What did your parents want you to be? It's a bit of a cliche, just, I was an only child, so happy, and my dad wanted me to be in a secure job because he grew up in the depression and stuff and he didn't want me not to, like, know what was happening. What did your dad do? He was a postman for 29 years, and before that he was a railway porter. What's your go-to karaoke song? I can't sing, I'm really, really bad at singing, but I love, I'm unusual as much as I love the uh, the prog rock dinosaur, so I love uh, Dave Gilmore singing Fat Old Son, but I also like The Clash, and if I could sing, I would sing uh, Complete Control. I love The Clash. Uh, office dogs, business or bullshit? Oh, always bring a dog wherever you go. My dogs go everywhere I go. I love a dog. I had to go somewhere he couldn't go. He would be here other way. Have you ever been fired? No, not yet. I've come close, but I just took the redundancy deal, because that would come. Yeah. And what's your vice? Talking too much, I would say. Which is kind yeah, of not a vice, not, not a vice on a podcast, I guess. But generally speaking, I do talk too much in a lesson. I don't let the kids talk enough. That's great. And how do we, how do we find you if we want to find uh, you? Well, on Twitter, at PhilArmstrong58. 58, is that your age, 58? Uh, that was the year I was born. That's uh, very kind of you to say that. I'm a little older. And go to the Gower Initiative for Modern Money Studies website. A lot of stuff I've written is on there, plus things that are written by other MMTers. Is it like a yearly event or something that they uh, do? They're, they're, well, I'm hoping there'll be a book launch. MMT does organize events that you can attend. I mean, Do any of the women speak? They do, yeah. they do. The thing is... The Gims ladies are very intelligent and they can speak well on their own part. Sometimes they, they like to put people like me who likes their own voice out front, but they can all speak really well. They're all extremely knowledgeable. Massive Any shout other York, Yorkshire's, Yorkshire no, ladies? No, they're not Yorkshire oh, folk. Hey, no, they're all from down you know you south. you can trust them, really? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they're solid. You know, it's, it's the best place in the world, Yorkshire, but the, not Yorkshire. all the Gims are from there. You know, but I certainly recommend anything to do with Gims. And if you you go to Warren Mosler's website, just put Warren Mosler in the Wikipedia, follow all the things he's written. Billy Blog, it's called, which is Bill Mitchell's site, who is a prodigious writer. He's an East End writer. character. Yeah, Bill Mitchell. He's tough. He's an Aussie. He's oh, tough. Bill, not Phil. Yeah, no, Bill Mitchell. He's a lot <laughs> more intelligent than Phil. But and he's a wise, wise man indeed. So I'd, I'd absolutely recommend Billy Blog. It's the best economics blog out there. Don't miss it. Go for it. Fantastic. Uh, so there you have it. That was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit. Thank you to Pippa. Thank you to our guest, Phil. Thank you to Dee. Uh, and it'll be BWB Extra on Thursday. Until then, it's ciao.